Michelle is getting ready to read a scripture for us from Luke chapter 2. Well, if you've been around for the Christmas season, you know that Luke chapter 2 is also where we find the story about the birth of Jesus. It's just the very beginning of of the chapter where they go to Bethlehem and the census and the shepherds appear and the angels and all those wonderful things that we read on Christmas Eve and Christmas Day. Well, just a verse later is this passage, which is less frequently read, and you may find it a little bit less familiar. It contains a lot of details about how Joseph and Mary wanted to fulfill the requirements of the law as it related to Jesus' birth, the Jewish law, the religious law in particular. And so when you hear things like turtle doves, they had to offer turtle doves. Well, that was a requirement of the Jewish law related to purification, and Mary had uh, become ritually unpure because of her birth. That was just a thing that happened, and so then you made an offering in the temple to make things right, part of the, part of the requirements. All these things were done in Jesus' birth because he came not to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. Now, with all those things in mind, let's hear from this passage of Luke 2, if you'll read for us, Michelle. When the eighth day arrived, the day of circumcision, the child was named Jesus the name given by the angel before he was conceived. Then when the days stipulated stipulated by Moses for purification were complete, Mary and Joseph took Jesus up to Jerusalem to offer him to God as commanded in God's law. Every firstborn male will be dedicated to the Lord and also to sacrifice the pair of doves or two young pigeons prescribed in God's law. In Jerusalem at the time, there was a man, Simeon by name, a good man, a man who lived in the prayerful expectancy of help for Israel. And the Holy Spirit was on him. The Holy Spirit has shown him that he would see the Messiah of God before he died. Led by the Spirit, he entered the temple as the prophets of the child Jesus brought him in to carry out the rituals, the parents of the law, Simeon took him into his arms and blessed God. God, you can now release your servant. Release me in peace as you promised. With my own eyes, I have seen your salvation. It's now out in the open for everyone to see a God revealing light to the non-Jewish nations and of glory for your people, Israel. Jesus' father and mother were speechless with surprise at these words. The word of God for the people of God. Be to God. Please join me in an attitude of prayer. Holy God, we give thanks for these words and for all words from scripture. I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts would be pleasing and acceptable to you, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So Merry Christmas. It seems like most Christmases there's at least one gift that is like a hot ticket item that everybody wants one of. It hasn't been as true in quite the same way since we've had the internet and Amazon Prime and you can order online ahead of time. But it used to be you'd run to the stores and there'd kind of be a mad dash to get a particular item. The closest thing that I could come up with recently would be like LOL surprise dolls. 
are a big deal. If you don't know what those are, you can ask a younger child, particularly a girl, after the service. Uh, can you name any other items like that? Those, those items that everybody had to have one of? Shout them out. Tuckle Me Elmo, somebody else? Hula Hoops, Cabbage Patch Kids, yes. What? Furby, ooh, yes. 1998 Furby, yes. My brother and I got a Furby that year and it was pretty amazing. It was pretty amazing. But some of you named it, 1996, that was the year of Tickle Me Elmo. And those, you couldn't get one because they were so popular. They, I read online, they made like 500,000 in the first run and they thought that that would be enough because nobody understood how popular these things were gonna be. But of course they put them on the shelves and somebody, I think it was Rosie O'Donnell had, a, had one on her show, which shows you how long ago this was, that she still had her show. And suddenly everybody wanted a Tickle Me Elmo and you went to the store and you couldn't get a Tickle Me Elmo because they simply had not made enough. And I don't know if you remember the stories, but it was, it was sort of madness. People were getting trampled in the store trying to get a Tickle Me Elmo for Christmas. People were buying and selling Tickle Me Elmos for thousands of dollars because you just had to have one. Well, my husband Joel has always been a huge fan of the Muppets and in particular, um, Sesame Street goes along with that, and he really wanted Tickle Me Elmo in 1996. Not because he was a small child, because he was a little bit too old for Tickle Me Elmo, but because he wanted the collector's item. He thought, everybody wants these, it would be really cool to have one, you know, I really hope that I get one for Christmas. So, Christmas starts to draw near, and a package appears under the tree. And it is just about the right size and just about the right weight because he picked it up and shook it like you do with the Christmas gift. And it was kind of squishy and it felt, he was, he was thinking this thing feels an awful lot like a Tickle Me Elmo. And he thought, I don't know how my parents pulled this off. I don't know how they did it, but this thing has got to be a Tickle Me Elmo. And I am so excited for Christmas morning to open this up and see Tickle Me Elmo in the fur, see him there. And he was really excited. Christmas morning came, and he pulls off the wrapping paper, and you've probably guessed it was not Tickle Me Elmo. In fact, it was Tickle Me Ernie, which <laughs> was also a thing. We sort of forget about Tickle Me Ernie, but he also existed. Nobody really wanted Tickle Me Ernie, though. It was a little bit of a sad story. And Joel, you know, he's gracious, and he sort of he says to his parents, you know, this is really nice, and kind of gives, thanks to them, but really, how were they gonna get a Tickle Me Elmo? They weren't gonna do it. They were just two people in Minnesota. They weren't, they weren't gonna, you know, elbow people out of the way to get a Tickle Me Elmo. But so, Joel, more than 15 years later, told this story in a sermon, because he's a pastor, he has a church in Goodrich, and this was actually at a previous church that he told the story, and he used it as an illustration about how sometimes things turn out differently than what you expect, but it's still okay. Like, life did not end because he didn't get Tickle Me Elmo. Life went on, and in fact, his life is just fine, even though he did not receive Tickle Me Elmo in 1996. So he shared this story, and it turns out you have to be a little bit careful about what you share in your sermons, because the next week, he comes into his office, and there, sitting on his desk, with no note and no card, and nobody ever claimed this, even to this day, years afterwards, was a Tickle Me Elmo. 
Now the thing about this Tickle Me Elmo was it was not, it was not the original. The original, you may remember, shook and he laughed and that was it. That is all Tickle Me Elmo did. It, it was a simple toy. It was, not, it was not super fancy. But the 10th anniversary Tickle Me Elmo, he danced and he laughed and he, it was a much more elaborate thing. And so Joel said, you know, I waited more than 15 years to get my Tickle Me Elmo and he actually turned out better than the original. So in the end, he was pretty glad that he waited. But 15 years, talk about delayed gratification for a toy. Talk about delayed gratification. And he actually keeps this Tickle Me Elmo in his office at church, in a prominent spot, as a reminder that some things are worth waiting for. And sometimes you don't get what you expect the first time around, and that's okay too. That's okay too. It's quite the conversation starter for people who haven't heard his sermon before. But it's a reminder of waiting and what it means to wait. Well, Simeon from our scripture, he was no stranger to waiting either. 15 years would have felt like nothing to Simeon because he was given the promise that in his lifetime, before he died, he would see the Savior, the Messiah, the Christ, the Anointed One. We know it's Jesus. In his lifetime, that's a pretty broad span of time for most of us. And if you were told that something would happen at some point before you died, you probably wouldn't expect it to happen tomorrow. At least, most of us wouldn't. Now if we keep reading in chapter two of Luke, which we didn't because the passage was already pretty long for this morning, we would encounter Anna as well. Simeon and Anna, they have these parallel stories. They're both prophets in the temple. They're both older. They've both been given the promise that they'll meet the Christ child. Anna, we're told specifically, is 84 years old. They know what it's like to wait for something. Imagine coming into the temple every single day wondering if this might be the day that God's promise will be fulfilled. And at the end of each day wondering when that day might finally come. Wondering, will it ever come? Will tomorrow be the day? Or maybe the day after that, or the day after that, or the year after that, waiting. Waiting for this moment that we read about in scripture. So when Simeon finally encounters Jesus, he is super excited. He breaks into these words of praise and he just can't stop himself. Scripture tells us that he takes Jesus into his arms and he shouts, well, he says praises to God. But I imagine it's a pretty dramatic moment because he's been waiting his whole lifetime for this, right? So I imagine that it's a bit of a Lion King moment and he takes little Jesus and he holds him up and he shouts out loud because he's so excited. And keep in mind, Jesus is only a few days old at this point, so he'd have to support his neck and do all the things that you do for a baby. But he was holding him up as a sign that some things are worth waiting for. The wait is worth it. In The Lion King, of course, Rafiki holds Simba up as a symbol of a new king who's going to change the pride lands. And Jesus is so much more than that. He is the savior of the world who's going to change everything. Even now, 2,000 years later, everything has been changed because Jesus was born. So Simeon and Anna, they've been waiting for so long, they can't contain their joy when they're finally able to meet the Messiah. 
But the truth is, if you go back further in scripture, Simeon and Anna, they've been waiting their whole lives, but the Israelites waited generations to meet the Messiah. Generations, like families, entire families had lived and died holding this promise to be true that God eventually would have the Savior born among us, but not seeing it for themselves. Generations, can you imagine holding something true without seeing it? And they didn't have a tickle me Elmo to sit in someone's office to remind them that the wait was worth it. They had something more powerful than that. They had the stories of their ancestors. They had examples of the faith, stories that reminded them that God was with them, that God fulfills God's promises, and that anything that had been promised would eventually be fulfilled. They had the words of prophets. They had the words of prophecies. They had examples of God's past faithfulness and the ways that God had already saved God's people. But still, there was a lot of waiting. There was a lot of waiting. I feel like I personally know quite a bit about waiting in my own life. Some of you have heard me tell my story before, and I apologize if you're already familiar with it. The journey to create a family for myself and my husband, Joel, took a long time. It took more than five years. And if any of you have experienced infertility or you have somebody in your family who has, you know that even a single year in the struggle with infertility can feel like a lifetime. Even a single month can feel like a lifetime when you're waiting for something like that, when you're waiting for a child. Each day can feel heavy with the weight of waiting because you're yearning for that thing that is yet to come. And the adoption process, too, once we shifted gears and went that route, is also full of waiting. At this time last December, Joel and I had been approved as a waiting family for adoption for about a year. And our agency had told us, well, you know, it takes 18 months, usually a year and a half on average for families to get matched with a child. But of course we thought, oh, it's gonna be faster than than that for us because we're gonna be the exception to the rule, which I'm sure every single family goes in thinking they're gonna be the exception to the rule. But the law of averages, it just doesn't work out that way. We, We waited longer than that. And in the end, of course, the story has a happy ending for us because June of last year, we got the call about our daughter, Maxine, and she's just experienced her first Christmas and everything is magical and it's all been reframed and the waiting was worth it. But waiting is tough. Waiting is tough. During the time while we waited, Joel and I waited, I read memoirs of women who had been through infertility or miscarriage just to remind myself that I was not alone, that other people had been through this, that other people had survived and even thrived afterwards, and that I could do that too. And then once we entered the adoption process, I got on Instagram and I followed all these different accounts of of families who had adopted successfully, again to remind myself that we're not the only ones who have ever been through this process, and in fact, the story can have a happy ending. And I looked at these pictures, whether, you know, what you see on Instagram is um, a true portrayal of family life or not, but it's a whole separate conversation. They were proof to me that waiting could have a positive end result. They were like signs of hope in the process, in the journey. This could happen for us. It was a reminder. 
Well, I know that many of you are waiting for things too. And they may not be the same things that Joel and I waited for, but maybe you're waiting to meet somebody. You're waiting to meet a partner or a friend or a, or, um, or a spouse. Maybe you're waiting for a new opportunity to arrive. Maybe you're waiting for a new job. Maybe you're waiting for healing or you're waiting for a loved one to really get it or to get over something. Maybe you're waiting for recovery or forgiveness or just for things to change, a breath of fresh air. Maybe you're waiting for a sign of what is supposed to come next. I don't know what you're waiting for, but sometimes along the journey, we look for signs of hope from others that God is with us, that we can make it through these things, that the journey is not gonna do us in. We look for signs of hope. We look for signs that we will find healing and joy and freedom and those other things that God promises us. But the truth is waiting is difficult, especially if things in our lives look different for whatever reason than what we expected. We went in thinking that we were gonna have a Tickle Me Elmo, instead we wound up with Tickle Me Ernie. You know, you know the feeling of thinking things would be one way and then they're different. Well, I imagine Mary and Joseph, shortly after they have this new son, Jesus, and they presented him in the temple and there are all these high moments of goodness and suddenly they have to leave and flee to Egypt because their son's life is threatened. That's a little bit different than what they thought it would be like. And they're making this long trip to a foreign place. They don't have any friends or relatives. They don't even really know what the end destination is going to be or when it'll be safe to come back. Talk about an unexpected journey and waiting and uncertainty and difficulty. I mean, I think about them this time of year, waiting for that day when they can return home from Egypt. And maybe they looked for signs of hope for signs that somebody had been there before and that God had seen them through. Maybe they thought of Moses, because his life was threatened when he was a baby, and he made it through. Maybe they thought of the Israelites, because they had to be in exile in Babylon for years before they could come back to their homes. Maybe they thought of other prophets and psalms and promises in scripture that God is with us. Just because something doesn't happen today, doesn't mean that it will never happen. God's timing is not our timing. And God's promises don't always look like what we are expecting. I mean, think about Simeon. His promise was simply, sometime before you die. Again, such a broad span of time for this promise to be fulfilled. And yet the thing that Simeon waited for did eventually happen, just as God promised, as do all of the good things that God promises even when it seems like we've waited for a really long time. I think we can all understand Simeon's excitement when he finally gets to meet Jesus. And so whether he was holding him close or holding him up, we can understand it when he shouts these words of praise, when he says, my eyes have seen salvation, a light for revelation, a glory to your people. It's almost a song. It almost sounds like a Christmas carol. Joy to the world. The Lord is come. Let earth receive her king. I'm paraphrasing. These are different words, but you understand the sentiment behind it. So much excitement. So much anticipation and hope behind this meeting of Simeon 
and Anna and Jesus. And it's important to share our joy and give thanks to God when we have received something that we've waited a really long time for because it's one of those ways that we give signs to others that God is with us, that God fulfills promises, that God is good. Because somebody near you might be waiting for a sign. They might be waiting to see, can I make it through this thing? Can I emerge on the other side? Will God fulfill God's promises? And if you're there singing, they might hear it and say, yeah, I can do it. I can put a foot in front of the next. I can make it through this day. I can wait. I can wait. I can wait and see what's next. Waiting is not easy. But regardless of what we're waiting for, we don't have to wait alone. We're together in a community of faith, and God is always with us. We have examples like Simeon to guide us on our path, to remind us that God is faithful. We have, hopefully, stories from one another of God's goodness and God's glory and God's love. And so when God works within us, when we've experienced something, when we have waited and a promise has been fulfilled, we're called to sing. We're called to proclaim. We're called to give thanks so that those around us have a sign, a reminder, a reason to hope, a reason to say, God is with them and God is with me and God will see me through. So let's sing some songs of praise to God this morning. Whether we're singing joy to the world or offering a prayer or just being with one another and sharing stories, let's be bold. Share a story. Share a testimony. You never know who is looking for a sign. May it be so for us. Amen.